accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to our coverage of Deep Space Nine. We're up to the episode called Crossfire, the 13th episode of the fourth season. Aired on January 29th, 1996. Written by Rene Echeverria. The directed credit goes to Les Landau. In this episode, Odo must face his feelings for Kira when she falls in love with First Minister Shakar, her former resistance leader. We're joined by Clay, as always. Clay, how are you? I'm really excited because Crossfire was one of my favorite board games as a kid. And let me, well, let me rephrase that. I didn't really play it very often, but it had the best commercial. Yes. Do you remember the Crossfire commercial with yeah. that awesome song? <laughs> Crossfire. You get caught, get up, caught in up in there. Yeah. And then the uh, the kid who loses gets sent straight to hell. Which yeah, is he my gets like part. he gets like uh, dematerialized or something, doesn't he? <laughs> he falls into the fire, the hellfire, but burning oh, below him. Yeah, and then the kid the kid like fist bumps in a leather jacket and he goes, Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is That's um, how we played games when we were kids. Well, I mean, the fire of love burns almost as brightly as the fire of hell, I think, Ooh, uh, is something. Nice I think segue. John Milton wrote that uh, when he was drunk one day and then tore it out of his Paradise Lost version. But um, we're going to be talking about Crossfire, which is a surprising episode, but I'll be interested to talk about it. Um, we're going to take a break, play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, and we're going to break down Crossfire. Providing security was difficult enough aboard the Enterprise. It appears to be next to impossible on this station. It isn't easy. I prefer a more orderly environment. We have that in common. My people have an innate need for order. How do you tolerate living here? I make order where I can. For one thing, I have a daily routine which I follow unwaveringly. The shopkeepers on the promenade joke that they can set their clocks by me. Unfortunately, I have found it difficult to establish a routine here. There are other ways to create order in your life. Your quarters, for example. Everything in mine has its specific place and it's all arranged just so. It's mine too. Even with my eyes closed, I would still know where everything was. Exactly. I would not tolerate it any other way. I'll tell you what else to do. Make sure everyone knows they can't just drop by your quarters to say hello. If someone does, whatever happens, don't make them feel welcome. Of course not. That would only invite subsequent visits. Precisely. So far, the only person that has a tendency to drop by is Chief O'Brien. That's probably because he knows you from the Enterprise. Perhaps if I am more inhospitable, he will stop. Good luck. All right, so, uh, Clay, I'll throw it over to you just by saying that as an introduction, this was maybe my biggest surprise of a DS9 episode so far. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you think about Crossfire? I thought it was fine for like half of it. And then the second half of it really kind of not, you know, amped it up a bit. And I was surprised at how much I liked it when it was over. Um, It's. I loved this episode. I thought this was a great, great episode of DS9. And it was, that's what I mean by surprising. I went in not expecting much and I kind of came away going, wow, that was one of my favorite episodes so far. Yeah, same. I uh, when it started, I was kind of thinking, "All right, so they're gonna get into this. This doesn't really feel like a Deep Space Nine episode. Like this feels like the episode, you know, any sort of uh, soap opery type of episode." But just the juxtaposition of the the content with the specific characters um, really made that whole thing really enjoyable to watch and. Man, Renee Arbogenois should have got some sort of Emmy nomination for for emoting that much through that makeup, yeah, which through, is through very specifically. He only, he only has his eyes, really. His eyes right. and the angle of his head are all that he has to work with, and I think he knocks it out of the park. Yeah, that, that makeup is so very specifically, like, without definition that he has to do all of his work through his voice and his eyes, and he's fucking great. Like there, there are are certain points in this where, you know, it's like heartbreaking. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been in that situation that he's been in, which, you know, most people have, uh, it's, it's, 
even doubly so because this character that you don't it's a he's a character that you don't identify with generally in a situation that is almost universally identifiable. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the position of someone who's kind of pissy towards Worf. <laughs> Although they they agree on some fundamental level. It's true. I actually really like that. That first scene with Worf I really liked a lot where they were like bonding over how regimented their lives need to be. <laughs> also, also I thought Michael Dorn was great in that scene. He is He's good. usually just kind of one note, but like he well, that's maybe unfair, but in that scene specifically, he I thought he dialed it way down. And it was the first time I've ever well, that I can remember anyway seeing Worf talk to somebody just like at a normal level and not with like, you know, Worf Klingon behind it. He was yeah. just, he was, they were just kind of bullshitting about stuff. And he's just like, yeah, no, that's a pain in the ass. I really don't like that. And it's like, well, Worf never talks like that, but it was really refreshing to hear just a civ, like a normal conversation between two people. I like the way Dorn played the realization there. He's like, maybe I should be more inhospitable to Chief O'Brien. Yes. <laughs> Shouldn't we all be more inhospitable to Chief O'Brien? <laughs> I love that scene. I think that I think this script is actually. I have I have issues with the episode. I think this script is actually extremely strong. It is a yeah. It's an episode where everything sort of ties together. That scene is immediately buttressed against the one where Odo is losing control of his security situation because Shakar mm-hmm. isn't following protocol about what he wants to do. Like where he wants to go to the temple and Odo wasn't told that he wanted to go to the temple. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing just builds and builds. And the conversation Worf and Odo have about knowing where everything in your room, your quarters are with your eyes shut, you could find everything. That's how organized and how regimented are. And they both are like very serious and agreeing with this. And like, this is the way to live. And Odo, when he finally breaks down results in him destroying his quarters. Like that, that's the, the end result of his um, sort of turmoil through all the change that he's done is a complete destruction of his character to that point. Like the thing that he's gone through here has completely turned him upside down and he destroys his quarters at the end of it. I think it's just a, it's a script that's really well-written, stays focused. All the characters feel very true to themselves and the plotting makes a lot of sense, keeps you on your toes. um, And it all ties in together. It all feels very right. And, even ends well. Like I, I don't really have much of a problem with any of the way that the script goes. Uh, it's really kind of an accomplishment, I think, for the show. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, my least favorite scene was the scene where he smashes his room. Not because of the context of it, but because I think uh, who, whoever teaches room smashing school <laughs> is the same person that taught Michael Dorn fighting school. Yeah, uh, I found it very unconvincing. He's like, be sure to hit this thing which we've pre-broken. Uh, at yes. this part to go knock this thing through, but yeah, it's yeah. um, I'm reading a, I'm, I'm reading a, a a book which is terrible. It's a Star Trek book that is absolutely awful. And the what the book does that I actually think is something the book shouldn't do is that the book has Odo shapeshift quite more frequently than he does in the mm. series, mm. and um, the benefit of the written word. Yes, the benefit, which also is a reason I don't like it. But the I. I you know, Odo is extremely limited when Odo, that's the kind of situation where you wonder why he's just not shape-shifting into like turning into like a beast, a Tardican beast or whatever Quark says mm-hmm. he turns into and smashing about the room. But it is kind of, he does kind of a cheesy Hulk smash take uh, there where he's kind of stumbles in and sort of hand smashes everything and calls it a day. Yeah. And also you don't like it because you can't read. That's true. Hmm. The, the braille takes a long time to, to, to get through is the only version. You know, has have. anybody ever done that? You know how people like as they get older, uh, like everybody that I know around our age is like really into running now, I think, because they're, you know, running you realize away you're from die. death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, people are, are always looking for something new to do or new to learn or something like that. Is there anybody out there who's not blind but has been like, I'm just going to learn how to read braille? Probably. There has to be, right? Yeah, probably. I've never thought about it before. Would you be, are people who are who are sighted be less good at reading it? Well, the real question is, are you, is there any way you're not a colossal asshole if that's what you choose to do? <laughs> like, like, of all the things that you could choose to do, I feel like being like, well, I've chosen to start to read Braille, like, is, is a very colossal asshole move because it doesn't benefit anybody but you. Yeah, yeah. 
It's like running around someone who's wheelchair bound, just sort of like running around their their wheelchair or something. It's just like, yeah, it's like it's like or 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 not being wheelchair bound and then being like this summer I'm going to learn how to use a wheelchair. Yeah, learn do that uh, those uh, those marathons where the people get to to ride in those little uh, things. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if anyone. I certainly it would be a whole new level of dedication. Although it is kind of a language that you learn at that point. I don't know. I don't know. Well, now that, I've, now that I've completely derailed the conversation, no, but um, um, I'll throw it. I'll, I'll just throw it back with. Um, what do you think of the Odo and Kira stuff to this point? You've seen previous episodes where this has happened. I think I made you kind of just have one on in the background, Heart of Stone, uh, which yes. is an important one. Yes. Um, so it's been brewing, and I know that you at least know from the context of that episode that it's been there. So, what do you think of it to this point? Um, I think it's been good in that they haven't spent too much time on it like i think if i had to give this episode maybe a bit of a minus it's that i feel like odo's uh feelings towards her are stronger than i thought they were Mm -hmm. um well i guess that's maybe that's unfair because heart of stone he basically you know pours it all out um but like they don't the fact that they don't touch on it that much Makes it feel a little bit like it's it's he's going from zero to sixty. Yeah, but um, I think you can kind of put the pieces together in your head enough where this makes sense. And also, I, I think it does, it is very much benefited from being a situation that is in, highly identifiable. Yeah, um, I, think, I think that the um, it's interesting that this is probably the biggest problem with a series moving from episodic stuff to more of a serialized character development thing Mm -hmm. where when they still have their one-off episodes they don't focus on this relationship you never get hints of it where in a more modern serialized story you'd have the one scene where that would remind you that this is the case even if they don't focus on it there would be some scene that they would hint at this oh yeah this is the thing going on in the background so when they when they do the serialized stuff that is character development based on Odo developing feelings for Kira, and they don't do episodes uh, between the episodes that focus on it, it feels a little bit arbitrary and artificial. It's just it is a kind of a holdover of those old episodic style tellings uh, with this new thing where they want these characters to actually grow over the course of a season. Right, and it's they actually um, if if you look at what else happens in the episode. Uh, the places where they have done that benefit this episode greatly. Like uh, the stuff with Odo and Quark, even though it's not that much of the episode, works a hundred times better. Uh, or I should say, it just it just works really, really great because they have that pre-existing relationship. Um, so I, I mean, maybe the fact that they're focusing, and I think it it bolsters the fact that they're uh, uh, they don't have to do as much work there. So that just being able to dip in there and have those Odo and Quark scenes work so well really kind of supports the main thing that they're going for. They can; Those characters are at a point now where they can lie to each other and the audience understands what their true intentions are. Right, right. You know, yeah. they, they don't have to spell out the fact that Quark is not doing this out of a self-serving um, point of view, which is his, his thing. Like, if I can't make these bets, Odo, I'm losing money, so I need you to pull your shit together. Um and because we know the characters and their interaction at this point, they can lie fairly convincingly. I think that when Quark leaves Odo's quarters in that scene, you could almost make the argument, you could make the argument, I think, that Quark is being self-serving there. Like, right. I think they sell that scene as if Quark is not doing anything in Odo's best interest. He's only doing it out of selfish, uh, his own interests. And the scene after that kind of clarifies it for you a little bit because they're more obvious with what they're doing for each other. But I think that it's a, it's a level of writing that TNG could never really get to, but because these characters have changed and known each other for so long and grown with each other in a way that TNG didn't, you can have scenes like that. Yeah, and it it, it also makes perfect sense going really either way. Depend, it, it doesn't matter which way you think he's, he's which uh, whether or not he's being self-serving because the stuff that he's telling them, telling him is just straight up down the middle practical advice. Yes. It's it, and it's it it does if you look at it as him being self-serving he just wants Odo to you know get his shit together so he's just giving him the most practical advice which is either listen you either got to tell her what's going on or you got to move on and 
being having also been that person in in a situation previous in multiple situations previously, I can tell you that when you do that, you know you're doing it for their benefit, but you are kind of doing it for your benefit too, just so they'll shut the fuck up right. about it. <laughs> um, exactly. And I and I'm aware that people have done that for me as well. So you know, yeah, it's it's always appreciated to have that person who's just gonna be like, listen, you have like two choices here. You got to do one of them, so it's, so we can all stop hearing about it yeah it's the um in in television writing that person's advice actually changes your mind when in reality that person's advice would not change your mind and you do the bad thing and then you realize that you should have listened to that person yes that's the more realistic take but um, i think it works so well because it's not like like imagine um let's just you know this obviously isn't would never be the case but let's let's flip it for a second and say that Odo is in love with Dax, right? And the person who has that scene with him is Kira. I don't think it works the same way because they are too good. They're, they're like, it's it's got like a different emotional level to it where it's like Kira telling him that makes it, makes it feel like, uh, um, you know, it's going to be okay or it's the right thing to do, blah, 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 blah. Where it, whereas Quark doing it, who's who's a friend, but he's also an adversary is just very much that down the middle practical advice. It, it's, it's a great, it's a great character to pick to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And it's a, um, it fits more into quirks. It fits into quirks thing. Uh, they've kind of discovered that quirk is very effective when he says he, he sort of has that human common sense advice or perspective, but he says that through the kind of eyes of a Ferengi, you know, yeah. which is what he's mm-hmm. doing there, but it's a good way that's a good way for Star Trek to write aliens, I think, mm-hmm. is that they're, when their culture is kind of disguising what they're talking about and their true intentions are maybe being hidden by these things that they are prioritizing. In Quark's case, it's about turning a profit and like making money off this whole situation. It, um, it, it's a nice, like, subtle way of writing them humanistically, but also keeping the tone right that they need to have. Mm-hmm. And I think it works really well for both of them. I think that, if anything, um, Renee Echevarria is the writer for this one, who wrote on TNG for a long time. Uh, DS9 is much better suited to his writing style. He's written a lot of good episodes for the show so far, mm. and he was never a knock-your-socks-off writer on TNG, where the tone is different. But here, the the way that he's allowed to play with the character, he's one of probably the strongest character writer, I think, that the series has. Like His episodes that deal with characters are always very, very good. Um, he deeply understands what makes the characters work, and how they should talk and everything like that. And um, it's just interesting to see him branch out from the way the TNG was to this more um, sort of heartbreaking and sad turn of events in the way that DS9 works its uh, works its storylines. It's interesting. I just think that this is a – it is a heartbreaking episode. And, well, uh, did, did you have anything else you want to say about the, the positive sword before I sort of get into my criticism of what maybe the one thing that I think is probably the weakest point of the episode? Well, another another aspect I thought that the um, um, having your characters in the periphery that you've spent time, even, even minimal time, uh, um, defining, <clears throat> helping to bolster the main story is, I think Worf falls under that category too. Yep. Because... Yep. From the you know we've talked about it before. It's from the minute that he got on DS Nine, they very well defined his character on, on this show. Yeah, uh, better than it ever has been on TNG. Well, it's like your point um, that you made before about Dorn's performance is more nuanced. They, they they're writing him in a more um, fleshed out way, and the the performance is kind of. I, th- I think you could actually say it's a Dorn. To give it to Dorn's credit, he's performing the material appropriately. Like on TNG, he yes. has to have that kind of Klingon-y, I am Worf, and this is the way things go. And DS9, he can't talk like that. He kind of, he came into the series talking like that, you know, in mm-hmm. his first appearances, mm-hmm. and he kind of butted heads with everybody, and he's been molded into something that's much more subtle and um, defined. He's, he's a much better defined character on this series, I think, than he ever was on TNG. Yeah, and having him... Having him be a little bit uh, a more well-defined character, but having much of that definition be like, you know, I am a security officer at heart. I don't fuck around X, Y, and Z. When you have him, 
you, it's great that they have that scene with him and Oda where they're both like, yeah, we we're bonding over the fact that neither one of us take any shit when it comes to order and, and, you know, uh, uh, Things have got to be the way that I want them to be. Yes. Yeah. So when Odo starts unraveling, Worf is there to be like, dude, get your shit together. Like yeah. He's another get your shit together character. <laughs> that, and that, that works. You know, again, that's another another scene where if you use a different character, like if you use Dax there, if you use Bashir there, it doesn't work because, or it doesn't work as well because they are not characters defined by that element that is currently falling apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. So having having Odo having that bookend of scenes with Odo. I mean, I mean, actually, they have bookend scenes with all these characters. Like it that works really well. Like that first scene with Odo and Quark, yep. where Quark is a you know a bitching about all the noise, and Odo is very slyly like, "Yeah, obviously, I'm doing that to fuck with him," because um, he you know oh, I don't really you know I don't really like Quark that much, even though he does. Uh, so then they have that scene later where. That we were just talking about, where it's you know Odo's falling apart and Quark is, it seems is is. It, we already covered it. I'm not going to go into it again, but yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, it, it's they they do that really well. I mean, they even do it with Kira. I mean, you know, they have the the scene with Kira at the beginning, the which party is of a scene. certain yeah, yeah or, or, or his uh, certain, the meetings that they're having where he, yes, he's yeah. obviously Odo's been Odo's been setting up these sort of unnecessary meetings just because he wants to spend time with Kira. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean she's uh, she gets more of these scenes obviously because she's the the main focus of the episode. But they yeah they do a really a really great job of 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 um, uh, showing you showing you character relationships that are defining your status quo for this main character, and then breaking that by showing those same relationships when when Odo is starting to unravel. It's, yeah. it's really well done. The um again another touch of the script that i like is that odo preparing for his uh, coffee meeting with kira is the opening shot and i think it's really well done it's odo getting everything perfectly set properly mm-hmm. he's like turning the tea kettle and everything to the right angle mm-hmm. because that is within odo's character i think it's it was a, it's a nice little thing it is his sort of um fake grin when she <laughs> when she comes in where he's smiling uh, too too broadly and stuff like that it's um it's a nice little touch and it's the the other character, one that he runs into, the more TNG-ish, I would say, is that uh, he has the um, when Cisco reprimands him for not right doing the right thing in that situation. Um, they do also; uh, they have figured out. I don't know if they figured it out previously or if they did it for this episode. What angles to shoot Odo at to get different reactions out of him? Mm-hmm. Because you know his brow is so heavy that if his head's tipped down at all, and you've got a little bit of hard light coming in from the top. Then he's gonna. All he's got to do is put a little rasp on his voice, and you get across like an anger or a negative emotion. Yeah. And those scenes, those scenes with Kira, where he's got that stupid grin on his face, he's sitting down, but they're kind of shooting him like over the top of the table, so the camera's down a little bit, so you're yeah. go, looking up at his face. They do that so a you lot. You can see all of on, his eyes. Yeah, they do that yeah. a lot in this episode. It must have been an intentional decision to do it because they do it on in multiple scenes. A shot like that this way. Yeah, you could see all of his eyes and his smile, which is probably very hard to do in that makeup, comes across more because of you know the the angle that it's at. I think it's it's really well thought out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will I will, I'll stick on it for a second. I think that um, I think this episode cements Aubergeonois as the actor of the series or this yeah this series of DS Nine. Like he is a. Um, I just didn't buy Tony Todd in the old man makeup though. <laughs> <laughs> the the what Abhijanwa is acting against here um, is very difficult, and it's impressive that he gets so much of it across. And I think that he is he's versatile in a way that some of the other actors aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy him as the aggressive, hyper vigilant security guard. You can also buy him as the sort of distraught um, uh, lover character who's not making things work. He. Sadness comes across well. Anger comes across well. He really sells everything that Odo is, and um, it's just an accomplishment. I think it's, it's not the. You know, it's not like uh, Avery Brooks is Cisco, where there are moments of like we can't have Avery Brooks play this moment. Like this is just not going to work for Avery Brooks. Uh, Aubergine <laughs> Watt doesn't have moments like that. He pretty much nails everything that he's asked to do, and I think it's uh, a testament to him. I think he's just he's the actor of the group. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's see here. Um, Odo and Worf bonding. Talked about that. Oh, the, I guess we'll get into my... Uh, well, before we get into the problem, um, I enjoyed this one on a Bajor level too. 
it wasn't a Bajor episode where it was like, get the fuck out of here, Bajor. What is going on? Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I think Shikar looks totally different with a different haircut. But outside of that, he, he I does. thought everything was good. Yeah, without that mullet, he does look a little bit more presidential. <laughs> and I like the the presidential glad handing scene where he's like, nice to meet you. Good to have you mm-hmm. here. Nice to meet mm-hmm. you. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought that the the Bajoran politics aren't a huge port, uh, part of this one. It's more just that Shakar has returned and everything. But it's always going to be there bubbling in the background. And this was done in a way that I thought was appropriate. Um it seems that Bajor is pushing to speed up the process to get into the Federation. So all that does for me is think about all the TNG episodes where in the span of one episode, a planet was allowed to join the Federation. I don't know what's mm-hmm. holding up uh, Bajor's thing, but apparently the Federation wants to go through protocol and the Bajorans don't want to do that, which seems cruel to... I think this is a, a writing mistake because that seems cruel on the Federation's part. They have a scene here where Odo's like, you know, these people have gone through 50 years of a brutal occupation and the federation is like hold on we got to make sure all the i's are dotted and the t's are crossed before we let you Mm -hmm. guys in and give you the replicators uh did you notice anything about that or did you have any thoughts um no i liked i liked that the bajor stuff was was kind of took a back seat but i think it i think it took a back seat but it worked um because i mean i think there's a lot of stories you could tell in this episode without focusing on odo if you want like i i was kind of interested in the getting a little bit more into uh, how Chakar is handling being a leader. Yeah. Uh, like a, a, politi- a politician versus being a, a you know re- revolutionary. Um, but I think if they had done that, I would have been bored to tears. Uh, <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad that they didn't. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think it would have been that interesting. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, but like you want, you want to talk about a, a something that's maybe ripe for a short, maybe that. Yes, absolutely. Um, how about we just yeah, have an I, alien I like the, come on board and uh, it invented warp drive and then we'll be outside. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so, and then becomes a politician and Jack, then queen. <laughs> Jack, yeah, becomes a queen. Become uh, Check out our runaway coverage of Discovery Shorts. Anyway, um, let's see here. So I guess we'll get into my problems unless you have another thing that you wanted to talk about before that. But I think we've covered pretty much everything. Um, uh, we learned that Rom has uh, sleep apnea. Apparently, yep, yes. Which, again, I feel seen, as the kids say. And, uh, and if you're paying an exorbitant amount for a listening device, you think it would be less obvious than just a thing that right. looks like a yeah. brooch that you stick into a bowl of fruit and hope nobody although, notices. Although he has that thing, he says so he can listen to Rom when he sleeps. But he's not helping him. He's no. just got a recording of him choking to death. It's it's the scene from Breaking Bad where Walter walks in on uh, Jesse's yeah. girlfriend dying, and that's that's Cork hoping. Um, yeah, very similar. Yes, <laughs> he just walks in on uh, Rom's apnea and just is praying oh, for man. the end. That scene is that scene is so good. Um, so my problem here is that you didn't get to see any of the fucking. No, I didn't get to see that. And Odo looks far better with a belt. So let's just cut that <laughs> cut that nonsense out here. It needs to be belted at all times. Um, my problem here, it's not really a problem, but it's something that is changing the older I get. Um, the series is so obviously written by 20-something men. Mm-hmm. The, the Odo's emotional arc here and his sort of relationship problems, as you're saying, relate to it. I feel like I haven't related to it in a long time. And it's it's, it's funny that it's a it's a very young man's perspective on a relationship issue. And you can get away with it by just saying that Odo, because he's an outsider, has never had to go through this. So he's kind of going through right. his like growth uh, and development here. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think that the Kira Kira doesn't have enough characterization. And it's a little bit of a problem. She's not be, she's, it's not a problem in the sense that she is backgrounded because she is totally ignorant to what Odo thinks about her, uh, or at least that's what the implication is to me. So mm-hmm. she's not being um, cruel or difficult to him. She's just more unknowing of the depth of his feelings. But the show is only interested in Odo's feelings. So it's all this sort of um, weird pinning odo's feelings onto kira in a way i don't think the show is trying to blame her but you end up as the audience member feeling for odo in a way and it it makes you 
if not angry at Kira, it just kind of brings about those uncomfortable things of being younger. And it, it's like it's Odo doesn't recognize it as his fault, which is a very young thing. It's like a young right. male perspective would be like, this isn't my fault. It's just everyone else is screwing me over for the way that this has come out to be. It's not seizing the bull by the horns. And I think that maybe that's the only issue I'd have with it. And I don't even know if the episode is doing that intentionally. It's just my takeaway from it is being sort of reminded of how shitty it was to be a younger man when you were sort of jealous of other relationships and stuff like that. Like it's right. a, it's an uncomfortable place to sit in and Odo occupies it. But again, he's an alien. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if, if I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's, it's anybody's fault really. Like, I, I don't think that Odo is, is, uh, making a I don't think he's angry at Kira or angry at Chakar about what's happening. I think if anything he's angry at himself. Yep. Which is, you know <clears throat> excuse me. Which is why it ends the way it does, where he chooses to just cut that cut that part out of his life to to a certain extent. Um so I, I see what you're saying, but I don't think that you know there's a certain um toxicity that can that can bubble up with a lot of those feelings when you're a younger person you know yeah um and i don't i don't necessarily feel that here uh i i I feel like yeah i feel like all of his turmoil is is internalized or or pointed back towards himself than it is towards because i don't i don't i don't get at the end that he's got any resentment towards kira or has any resentment towards jakar i mean he's he's just like well i feel like he's just kind of well this is how it is i mean you i think you very easily could have gone the other way and yep. get yourself into a you know a Leah Brahm situation, right. um, <laughs> but they don't. And they and uh, I think the most interesting part to me, if if I was going to comment on the way that the relationship is portrayed, is that scene. And I guess it's, it would be a question I'd throw to you. Um, that scene at the end when he comes in and tells her that they can't have their meetings anymore. The way that she addresses him, where he's like, I've got something to say, and I can't, I don't really know how else to say it. And she's like, well, I mean, just say it then. Do you think that she knows, like, is she expecting him to be like, listen, I'm in love with you? Or Because they play it like that's what she's doing. Yep. Like her body language and the way that she reacts to what he does say uh, implies that she's expecting him to, you know, put everything out on the table. Um, in which case, I feel like that's a little bit unfair to put on her. Yes. Uh, because if that's the case, then looking back at how the episode goes, it's like, well, come on, Kira. <laughs> you know? That's Okay, so I'll, I'll clarify a couple points because I think I, I wasn't clear about what I was saying earlier, but it ties into that. So mm-hmm. my my thing my point of the the young male perspective is that I think you're hundred percent right. Odo does not react negatively to the other characters in this episode. He is sort of inwardly channeling his rage into a kind of depression against himself. Yep. I think that's I think that's good. That's a very like adult take on it, I guess. And I'm very glad that he doesn't actually get angry at Shikar or he doesn't have a moment where he allows Shikar to maybe get assassinated or something, you know, like that. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So. I'm glad that they did that. My thing is that the I think the audience watching this and the the point of view writing it comes across as more of a Odo is not taking his own initiative and the episode it is holding it against him but I feel uncomfortable in that like his anger towards the situation is not being this is all very personal because I think that they do address it, but it's not being clear about his youthful expectations of stuff. And it ties into the Kira thing at the end. I think the Kira thing will probably flesh out what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Kira reacting in that way feels like a young man's fantasy, sort of. Like, it's not right that Kira should react that way and be sort of into and understanding and expecting Odo to tell her that he loves her. Because mm. that is not the way that the story has gone. This is totally I Odo's see. fault. I see. You know what I, I mean? See. Like, yeah. And I think that that's a that's almost a youthful 
optimistic fantasy version of even though you've grown and become the better man, the woman that you're pining after will eventually come to terms with the fact that she loves you just as much. Like that's a very right. that's a very weird young person point of view about relationships, and it's a little bit it's a little bit of a a bad turn, I think, for the Kira performance at the end there. I think that she shouldn't have played it that way. They should have been much more, she's all nitty-gritty brass tacks about business of meetings and stuff, and maybe being disappointed that she doesn't want to have breakfast with a friend or that Oda doesn't want to have breakfast with her as a friend anymore, but there shouldn't be that sort of lusty hinting, oh, just say it, Odo, just tell me what you really feel. Yeah, I think maybe if they had cut that first bit out, I think it would have played a little bit better. Um, so, Because, I mean, I think... I think the way that she reacts when he does tell her, oh, we can't do this anymore, <clears throat> I think that stuff plays fine. I think actually maybe you should have, maybe they should have saved the emotion of the scene for that point. Mm-hmm. Because in that point, maybe that's when she starts putting pieces together. Because that way it's not like she's known the whole time and is just kind of surprised that he's choosing this avenue. But then it's like, oh shit. I think maybe he has a crush on me. Oh, damn. Like that sort of reaction instead of, yeah. instead of the, the, you know, well, as we were saying, it, it kind of, instead of it kind of coloring the way that she plays it through the rest of the episode. Um, cause I mean, you know, that, that still works perfectly. Cause I mean, especially in that situation, if, if you've got a, uh, you know, if you, if you want to talk in high school terms as they kind of are in this episode, um, if you've got a, a, a guy and a girl who are friends and then all of a sudden, the guy doesn't want to hang out with the girl anymore. Clearly, she's going to be like, "Well, what what's happening? I thought we were cool, you know." And it's that's definitely a valid reaction to make. You know, you start thinking and internalizing, but like, well, "What's happening here? Did I do something wrong?" Yeah, blah, blah, you yeah. know, it does. Oh crap! Does he have a crush? You know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's maybe just that beat before it uh, that kind of skews it a little bit. Unfortunately. I I would have just cut the, I would have cut everything and I maybe would have ended that scene with Kira going back to her desk and doing work, not even thinking about it. You know, like. That's true. Yeah. Because. Uh, Oh, that's so cold though. It it is. But Odo, the point of this is that Odo hasn't done anything to make these feelings known. You know, like. Right, right. Odo, Odo's greatest failure here is that he's not acting on those things. And I think that, I think that it's, it's a fantastical fantasy version of writing of a guy can not say anything and the girl will just come around to it like i'd Mm -hmm. rather i think it's much more realistic if kira honestly just thought of him as a good friend and odo has not done anything to lay the groundwork for this because if odo had laid any groundwork what she's doing with shikar in front of him is incredibly cruel on her part right oh absolutely so Um, she needs to be totally ignorant but i think at the same time though she can still react to I mean, because she is his friend and she does enjoy having those meetings. Sure, sure, yes. So I think she can still react to him of very abruptly canceling them with maybe like, oh, well, that's, I mean, we could try and do it some other time. I think she can still do that. I agree with not that, have yes, it, yeah. You know, not have it uh, belie any sort of um, uh, failure on Odo's part to to, to voice his, his, his true feelings or for her the way she was acting, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree with that. I don't think it's a... Um I don't have a I, – I even wonder now that I'm sort of talking about it if I have a problem with the way that the episode is written or the way that I sort of think about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I was watching it just thinking of do like other shows kind of write romances this way? And maybe I just had a trouble thinking of any that really wrote it this way. I think it's appropriate for the characters. It's just a – it's kind of a perfect molding of it's the right time and right situation and right characters to tell the story while it still brings up kind of um, – weird memories of being younger and feeling that way and then being like, well, how old are these people supposed to be at this point? Like, are people really supposed to be going through uh, these kind of emotions when they're, you know, whatever they are in charge of a star command system or something like that? Um, But I think it's really good. It didn't didn't ruin the episode for me. It's just one of those weird things that I'm thinking about. And particularly as we move forward, I will say I'm going to not spoil anything, but one thing that kind of is a knock against this episode for me, not a knock against the episode, but I wish this episode had stuck with it. I wish this was the end of the Kira and Odo relationship. Mm. They come back to it. Um, mm-hmm. And this being the end is a much more satisfying and cool ending than coming back to this material, I think. Yeah. 
Well, it, you know, it's been a while since I've I've uh, uh, called this out, so I may as well make a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference. <clears throat> um, but there's a, uh, the relationship between the three main characters there. You've got Buffy, Willow, and Xander. Uh, Xander, at the beginning of the show, very much has a huge crush on Buffy, and they kind of play it, well, they very explicitly play it that, you know, these other guys are, she's interested in these other guys, you know, specifically Angel, and he's kind of fallen into the brother category. And they kind of sweep that under the rug fairly quickly as the show progresses, but they never completely forget about it. <clears throat> so, oddly enough, that one episode that I keep calling out, the finale of season two, where it's all kind of like dreams and all that kind of stuff, they really kind of, they bring it back and kind of call out some of the weirder uh, psychological implications of that. And it's, it's, always, it's always interesting when you have a relationship like that where it's not completely gone. Because, uh, I mean, in, in, in Buffy, they never really, they don't really ever, I don't think he ever really, uh, there's no real closure to it the way yeah. that there is here. Yeah. So I can see this being a, um, a more satisfying ending than to have to bring it, up, bring it back up later. Uh, unless you're, you know, someone who really, uh, really wants Kira and Oda to get together and then you want to see it every chance you can get. Yeah. Shippers, I guess that's the, the, what the kids are calling them at these points. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I think it's a, I think it's a neat little ending that works pretty well and everyone sort of works out their characters, uh, well and stuff like that. And Odo sort of goes off and he is what he is. He's going to just be the law and order guy and he's given up on all this stuff. And maybe maybe the way I'm describing it, it feels appropriate that they'd come back to it. But I like the resolution here of how it works, and I like uh, Quark's inputs onto everything, and I like the way that it all pans out. But are you are you happy they don't have like like a scene at the end where where Kira's like maybe we could talk again tomorrow, and I was like I don't know, baby. I don't think so. And then, like, slicks his hair back and then, like, walks off. <laughs> he should just shapeshift some uh, sunglasses onto his face yeah. and, just, and just say, I got, I got shit to do. Oh, I would do that all the time. He should have, he should have uh, the ultimate high school power move, but he walks in with a Dabo girl on his arm in the yeah. curious quarters and is like, hey, baby, you missed your chance. We can't, uh, there's no more meetings in the morning because I'm going to be sleeping late. You, you, you saw what my arms could become. Imagine what other parts of my anatomy oh, could become. Um, let's see here. I think we're done. We talked about this one for quite a while. So I'm going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. We're going to Can come I, back. Oh, one other thing. Sure. I also really liked that at no point does Odo try and insert himself into their relationship. Yeah. Yep. Like he, there's no like vying for attention really. No, he's always he's on just, the background trailing them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's always, and that's, uh, I I think that was kind of refreshing because usually the way that they do this stuff, it's like, well, here's the part where where Odo shows up with flowers or, or tries to tries one to sabotage up, it, yeah, 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 tries to one up Shakar or something like that, or or even even when he saves them in the elevator, there's no point where he kind of like shoots him a look or you know. That the only the only time that happens is when Shakar is talking to him in his quarters and he says, "Does Kira?" A very high school thing. He's like, "Does Kira ever talk about me when yes, I'm not around?" Yes. And Odo says, "Let me think." No. <laughs> which that's the only time and it's just that one beat that it comes across as really um obvious that he's trying to stop their relationship from happening yeah i mean that's just him choosing his words carefully yeah maybe maybe she's never actually said anything Odo, i think yeah. odo said that he doesn't lie maybe she's never told odo anything and he's talking truthfully mm. um but yes i'd agree with you that the one of the refreshing things about the episode is that it didn't have Odo try to sabotage their relationship. It was all about his reaction to their relationship as opposed to trying to insert himself or save the day or have like the station about to blow up and he impresses Kira by turning off the switch or something like that. It doesn't never really happens that way. Right, right. We're going to take a break, play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, read some patron thoughts, give our thoughts about this one called Crossfire. Odo. Something wrong. It's just a matter of using my time more efficiently. I understand. <laughs> well. <clears throat> hey. No belt? I'm just trying to keep to the essentials, Major. All right, guys, so if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes, and we read them on the podcast. There's only two for Crossfire. I'm very disappointed. This is a very good episode. Matthew Ross says Crossfire. But you people don't have hearts? No, they don't. 
Crossfire. We learned that Kira likes non-charismatic men and has a thing for belts. Odo and Worf are control freaks, and what is that jumpsuit outfit of the minister's assistant? Is he going to a rave party later? The real meat is obviously the unrequited. Is it unrequited or unrequited? Unrequited, right? I think it's unrequited, yeah. Unrequited love and the odd friendship of Quark and Odo. Any doubt that Quark can outmaneuver Odo is easily dispelled as Quark quickly picks the lock of Odo's door. In the elevator, when I saw this originally... Oh, he wasn't watching it in the elevator. In the elevator, when I saw this originally, I actually remember asking, why didn't Odo wait for Worf's command uh, confirm code? Guess he thinks with his heart too much like the rest of us. And the ability to turn into real metal strut to stop the elevator when kept, uh, then creates the debate of what Odo Changeling's weight, mass, and all that jazz is to the world around them. The fact that the elevators have such controls and rerouting ability always struck me as odd, but whatever. Worf obviously is on the ball and catches the terrorists with no problem. Just one guy to take the head off the government made it easy. They really are a non-threat in this episode as they were so quickly thwarted. I did like how the camera focused on Ensign Jimenez and when Odo relieved him, giving you the wrong impression. When the realization that Kira is untouchable and with Quark's tough bro love, the belt is gone. We can move on for now and Odo can get back to being an insufferable prick, but an effective cop. Kyle Barrett wish- said... I, I wish uh, I w- the only thing I think was missing is uh, when Quark came in to the scene with with Odo. I wish he, he was like listening to Elliot Smith in the dark or something. Quark <laughs> <laughs> has made a a playlist just for Odo, a Spotify playlist, and yeah, like the- a, like in the office, he just keeps playing the free sample of the James Blunt song over and over again. <laughs> Kyle Barrett says. Crossfire. On my first time through DS9, I didn't care for this episode, but now I really enjoy it. Seeing the order-loving Odo battle with an emotion he struggles to control is great, and after the previous hefty two-parter, I like having a gentle, character-driven episode. Shakar is the only problem because he was introduced as a tough war hero ready to shake up Bajoran politics, but in this episode, he's quiet and timid. It's almost as if they had an old version of the script starring Baral laying around and just quickly changed it to say Shakar. It's a shame the character, introduced to be the antithesis of the bland Baral, goes the same dull way after just his second appearance. Um, I th- I actually thought Shakar's metamorphosis was believable to me. Um, he is a soldier who can no longer has a war to fight and has to be a politician, and he's not particularly good at it. Uh, but I-, I thought he was consistent with him his previous Shakar episode, I thought it was the same person. It felt the same to me. Yeah, I honestly don't remember the character that clearly to uh, see if feel to he just he felt he was fine. He, yeah, he, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think it was a believable change for the most part. Uh, yeah, he's he's not, he still had some. He, he I mean he makes reference to the fact that you know he's like man I used to be used to be this and now I'm a lot more boring you know so. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most realistic line of the script? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you know he, I, I do have to wonder. Do you, was this? Did somebody pitch this story, or was was this just like on the list of stories they were going to do, or did somebody come in with the script and then like the showrunner was like uh, Renee? Is there anything you'd like to tell us? At <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, a behind the scenes meeting about what was going. The original idea was the idea to do a bodyguard type story the idea was for odo to be the bodyguard protecting kira for something and falling in love with her yeah yeah Yeah, i like this better this is better i think it's more natural yeah um that's it thank you very much patrons for leaving two comments about uh, a great episode it's unfortunate that this is only the two of you but thank you very much guys so in all seriousness for uh, leaving your thoughts thank you maybe we should get those two together and maybe they can fall in love yeah yeah that's what we're doing on the show now matchmakers We'll trail them in the background, Clay, just sort of yeah. watching them from a distance, <laughs> keeping them safe and making sure that they are they're loving. See what other podcasts they're listening to, and then we'll stand outside their door while they listen to them all I night. thought it was great direction in this episode. There's one scene where Odo is sort of trailing behind them, and you see them in the foreground, and Odo's hammers over Odo's shoulder, and Shikar just kind of lightly touches the small of Kira's back and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's just those little daggers into Odo's heart. Yeah. And it's just, it was really, he doesn't even comment and- on it. He's he's not doing himself any favors. Like when he shows up at Kira's place and the dude's like, yeah, they've been in there for like three hours. He could have been like, all right, well, uh, carry on. I'm going to go to bed and try not to think about this. Instead of standing in front of her door yeah. while she's, you know, getting her swerve on for all night. The, it on, it was all night, right? Because when he when Kira opens the door, she says good morning to Oda. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's just... He's a glutton for punishment at that point. It's tough to have sympathy for that. <laughs> Odo's song is actually Mr. Brightside by the Killers, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
that should have been playing at that point, which is one of my favorite Kira, songs. Of the I've past, been listening uh, to this twenty years. This, I think. I've been listening to this classical music band called <laughs> Nazareth. <laughs> this one song they have off of the Hair of the Dog album, I find very applicable to my current situation. <laughs> what are you going to cover g- of an Everly Brothers song? What are you going to give this one on a scale of one to um, five? I think I'm going to give it a five. Yeah, I'm. I'm shocked. I'm agreeing with you. I'm giving this yeah. a five. I really enjoyed this episode. I my, thought it was really I, great. I, I started off at a three, and then as it got a, as it went on, I was like, "Well, this is probably a four. And then by the end, I was like, "Man, this is a this is tough not to give a five. Yeah. What, what I forget? Did you? What was your big problem with it? You mentioned it. Um, not big problem, well, but your 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 thing that you stuck out for you. My well, my initial problem. Uh, ooh, did I have a big problem? I don't know if I had. I mean, my, when I when I started it initially, it was just it felt like it was just kind of a run of the mill um, character the ambassador. That, yeah, that didn't really have much of a Star Trek bent to it. But then as they got into it and as they were handling it so well, it was just like, well, I mean, you can't deny how how good they're how effectively they're doing the story. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I just don't. I don't really have any problems. I can kind of try to pull uh, like the English lit arguments about the way that their relationship is handled. But I think in terms of the script itself, it's handled well. My criticism is all sort of meta commentary on it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. in terms of the script, I think it's just pretty much note tone perfect through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I think that's it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Me and Clay, the surprise of the season for me anyway is Crossfire. I think it was very, very good. Uh, You can support the show by going to all the social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, all that stuff. Support the show on patreon.com slash file. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff. You can check out the Badass Podcast, which just kicked out. Uh, Clay's responsible for that, so Clay can fill you in. Clay, do you want to explain what that is? Badass Podcast is where myself and friend of the show, Sean Murphy, talk about Batman the Animated Series uh, and sometimes hentai, depending on what episode you're listening to. Yes. Whatever Clay or whatever Sean has on his other monitor when he's talking to you about uh, about Batman. Um, That episode is our longest episode. And uh, I'm not going to say it's not because of a 15-minute rant on hentai that Sean goes on at the beginning of the episode. There you go. There you go. Um, Let's see. I think that's it. Uh, check out Badass, check out the Patreon, check out all that stuff. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. As always, the Captain Tier patrons get a shout-out at the end here. Stephen Cobb, Jay Stanley, David Kay, Nick Sergi, Nathan Elliott, Michael Pond, Matthew Cutler, Will Yates, Matt Flores, Samuel Custer, Santos Gonzalez, Robert Cummins, K- uh, Andrew Cherlog, excuse me, Spinobi, Russ Graham, Eric Johnson, Decker Spastiani, Neil Brennan, Bradley Killens, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tark Latif. Thank you very much, guys. You make this all possible. Um... That's about it. Check out our Discovery Runaway, the Star Trek short. We did the coverage of the first one. You can check that out. And I think that's pretty much it. Anything else you have to say, Clay, before we call it uh, call it a day? Uh, issue two of Poser is in stores now, I believe. So if you want to catch up on that, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it. I got a new book coming out in November called Night Moves with IDW. So uh, if you're interested in that, tell your comic book store that you want to read it. That's also a song that Odo would listen to standing outside of Kira's uh, bedroom door, I think. I feel like Odo would listen to Night Moves and be like, I don't understand what this is talking about, but (laughs) it touches me inside somewhere. (laughs) That's about it. Um, Thank you very much for listening. I thought I had some other minor thing to say. I guess I'd... Oh, hopefully this should be the first DS9 episode with the... uh, our mics all sorted out and our audio levels correct. Let's hope so. I'm saying that at the end because I don't want to lead off that way, but should be good at this point. People were people were saying they preferred the old mic to this new one, but I think we just figured out how to make uh, things sound better, and I think it should work out this time. So let us know how the audio quality is. Other than that, Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good discussion on this one. This was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait to see how people extrapolate. Uh, our own uh, implied experiences like this. <laughs> Tell us what me and Clay would listen to. Uh, I came of age in 99 to, when did I graduate high school? 01. So pick the four year. So pick from like 97 to 01 and tell me what my Oof. high school uh, playlist would have been like if I had been in the Odo position here. That was a, that was a rough time for music. It was maybe the worst stretch of music. Outside yeah, of... T- I, I think I, I may have mentioned this before. I can't remember. But uh, there's a Spotify playlist on um, 
uh, on Spotify, obviously. That's uh, every SNL performance uh, from the beginning of the show to the present. And yep. I took it upon myself, you know, why not, to listen my way through it. And the first, it, it's pretty, it's a pretty good listen until you get to like the 80s, because then it's like, uh, you know, they're having all these people on who are bands you know, like from their older bands from the 70s and stuff, but they're playing all of their new shit. Oh, so sure. it's like, oh, Don Henley's on, but he's playing a bunch of Don Henley songs you've never heard before and you're never going to hear again because they're from some shitty album put out in 1987. But then you hit the early 90s and you've got like live and, you know, Aerosmith comes back and there's some pretty good stuff. You get Nirvana. And then you hit like 97 through about 2003 yep. where it's just a fucking dead zone where it's like all of the boy band stuff all of the you know uh peak corn peak limp Bizkit. yeah yeah you britney spears and jessica simpson all that kind of stuff it is a tough listen yep eminem really eminem might be degrees. the gem of that era he's like the only thing that sort of come out of it um at a peak like or saying that that was uh, one of his one of uh, the peak that he was at at that point but in terms of in terms of pop rock and pop Music not not particularly a great not a great time for music. Whatever. I actually I actually just came across a podcast that I was thinking about listening to that was all about the uh, the the very short lived era of like rock revival bands that came out post the Strokes. Yeah, sure, like the Hives it, and everything. Everything was yeah. the something. Yeah, yeah, and they were kind of like there there were always those bands. Like I was because you know I was I always loved you know classic rock and older stuff. But, you know, you're constantly looking for stuff you can identify with as, you know, in, in popular music. So these bands were coming up, and I was, oh, man, I, I really wanted to like all these bands, and I did not like hardly any of them. I liked the singles, and I would buy the album and not yeah. like the album. Same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although the, I, the first Strokes album still pretty good. Is it? Yeah. But, but most of those other bands, it's like, yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know what it is, but they just weren't doing it. And then uh, someone said, I, I like the Hives, but then someone was like, they sound kind of like just a more aggressive version of Mick Jagger and the Stones. And they, they do kind of mm -hmm. like, they sound like a punk rock version of the Stones. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of ruined it for me. But the singles are still something that if it pops up on a playlist, I'm okay with. I find it very strange uh, where like the line is for people with that stuff. Like my favorite band of all time is Led Zeppelin. And there's a band currently called Greta Van Fleet. Yep. That is basically doing just a Led Zeppelin impression. Like the the, the they're good they're good. I mean they're a good band, but the the singer is just doing a Robert Plant impression, like yes. straight up. And the riffs and the, music, the riffs are the same. The riffs are yeah. just ripoffs of Jimmy Page. The riffs are just Zeppelin ripoffs. And people and I've, I've I've been like you know this. I mean these guys are fine, but they're just doing a Led Zeppelin impression. And all the people are like, well, hey man, Led Zeppelin's not around. Someone's got to do it. It's like I don't think that's how it's supposed to go. No. No. It'll be so, interesting to see where that band develops into because they're all like 18, yeah. I think. Oh, so, yeah, they're super young, yeah. So it's it's got to change, but they, I can't respect them because they sound exactly like Zeppelin. If you had never yeah. heard them before, you would think it was just a remastered B-side of a Zeppelin song you had never heard before. Right, right. And some people see that as a plus. I personally don't. No, no. Uh, if you do want to see a band that is very uh, Zeppelin-esque but not a complete copy, I highly recommend The Rival Sons, who are my favorite currently working rock band. There you go. What the hell am I listening to on Spotify? I don't have Spotify right up now. I don't. Th was there an album? No, I don't think so. I'm listening to a lot of playlists. All right, we're gonna call it a day there. Check out Clay's album recommendation. Check out the new uh, books from Clay. Check out Badass. Check out the Patreon. Check out all that stuff. Thank you for listening. The baby's here. Oh schedule, yeah. Schedule Congratulations. Should be okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We, we forgot to mention we are recording this from the uh, inside the operating room. Yeah, that's right. I'm inside my wife's womb right now. <laughs> when you said the baby's here, he was born just now. <laughs> Doctor, what did you think about Crossfire? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. You got the uh, noise gate way up on this one to cut out all of the screaming and, and the push, push. There's a, there's a lot of... A lot of <sighs> um, <laughs> Let's see. So that's pretty much it. Baby's here. Everything's fine. We'll be continuing with schedule, uh, but you can't ask too much of me. We might have a couple breaks in the schedule going forward, but we'll see. We'll try our best. I know. I did it all for the money. We did it all. Thank the patrons. 
if there is a consistency to this, it's all due to the patrons and my sense of guilt for not getting things out when people are actually paying for it. Thank you, are patrons. You just gonna, are you just going to turn your Patreon into whatever your like Amazon wish list is for baby stuff? Yeah, that's right. Just buy a box of diapers and ship them on over. Actually, don't do that because I wouldn't enjoy that nearly as much. That would, that would just be like a sad, sad Amazon <laughs> no, it's not. Person. It's not the same thing, right? It's like when, you, when, it, when Christmas comes around and like your mother or something is like, hey, do you guys need anything for Christmas like for around the house? You're like, yeah, we do. But I also would love like a PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> just give me the gift card so if I want to get the mop, I can get exactly. it. But yeah. The PlayStation's there as well. Anyway, yeah. sounds like the landscapers are starting to go next door. So we're going to call it a day. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. See you guys next time.